If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Hi, I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Today, we welcome a fellow podcaster, Stephanie Cox, to chat about agility in marketing. Stephanie is the host of The Real Marketers Podcast, where she has interviewed marketing leaders with brands such as MGM Resorts, Crayola, GE, Campbell Soup Company, and others. She's also VP of Sales and Marketing at Lumivate. Stephanie, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. It's great having a real marketer on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So to start, can you share a bit about your background and what you're up to right now? Yeah, so I have been really in kind of the B2B or B2B2C world for over, gosh, 15 years now, primarily in marketing. I started off my career in digital at a medium-sized company and got to do a lot of really cool things early on. I like to say part of that was because Back then in the early 2000s, not every company had a website. Social media was new and they were like, you're young. Can you figure this out? (laughs) And thankfully it worked out well. Yeah. So from there, had the pleasure of working at a variety of organizations. So I've been in startups all the way through companies like Ingersoll Rand, which were 60,000 employees, $14 billion. And what I really did in the last 10 years or so has been focused a lot on mobile. So I've launched mobile programs in over 10 countries. I've also been heavily in digital. So I've launched new products, expanded geographic regions, new brands. And then now I illuminate for the last three and a half years where I lead the sales and marketing customer success and product teams. And tell me about Lumivate. What's that company all about? Yeah, so we are a platform for building mobile apps. And we're specifically designed for marketers to build those apps without a single line of code. So one of the things in my history is I say if you've never done native mobile until you've been rejected by the app store and spent a ton of money. I've been there. there. Right? (laughs) It kind of gives you PTSD a little bit because every time you submit to the app store, you're like, please go through, please go through. And if you've done it, you've done it for iOS, Android, and to date myself, even Windows and BlackBerry back in the day. And we really thought at Illuminate there was a better way to do it. So we use a technology called Progressive Web Apps, which was started by Google five years ago and been adopted by Microsoft and Apple to deliver all of our apps. And more importantly, we actually enable marketers to build those without code. So in digital, you need to be able to move really rapidly. And a lot of times I say this as a leader, when did you need it? 
well, yesterday. Right. And we're a platform that allows that to really happen. So imagine being able to dream up an idea in the morning in a brainstorm and actually build that app later in the afternoon all by yourself. I'm old enough to remember coding websites in WAP, Wireless Axle Access Protocol. I think that's what it was called. I kind of a precursor to all of that. It's it's fascinating to think about. It is. So much of the technology has changed and it's changing rapidly, especially with COVID. Like the needs for businesses to move faster yeah. almost on a daily basis has really been astonishing. Yeah, I've been writing about that all day today, that COVID has changed the way businesses uh, approach digital plans that were made for two, three, four years happened in months. And whether or not they were executed right, who knows? But they had to really become more agile, which is what we're talking about today, right? Yep, exactly. So I've been familiar with the term agile for years, having worked in tech businesses for more years than I'd like to admit. Agile is a discipline in developing code and and so forth. Why is agility in marketing so important? I think it goes back to what you just said. The world is moving at a pace, even before COVID, that if you're not ahead of the game, you're already behind. And I think that's what's so important specifically in the marketing world is if you really wait to get all of your research done, all wait till you perfect your website design, test it a thousand times, get a ton of feedback on it, iterate on it, et cetera, before you launch it. Your competitors probably already put out three versions of their website and had real-time feedback from users and seen real user behavior. And to me, that's what is really most important about agility and marketing is you have to be ahead of the competition. And the only way to do that a lot of times is through speed. Now, I think creativity and having a really smart approach to marketing is also still very important, but none of that really matters if you're behind the eight ball all the time. Right. And doing things in tranches, doing things iteratively means that you can get things out in the market and work on the next feature. So maybe you don't redo your entire website or product naming or you know whatever the project is. Maybe you do it iteratively. Is that kind of part of how that would work? It really is. And I'll give you a personal example. So we just launched last month our new website. So kind of a new version of our website. And I would tell you, on a call today to someone that it's an evolution. Yeah. And what I mean by that is it's like 80% of the way where we want it. But we didn't get to all the pages we want to create. We didn't get to all the the graphics aren't exactly what we have in mind. They're our first iteration. Yeah. And really what our hope was, let's get it in market. Let's see how people use it. Because you can get user feedback during your design process, but nothing is the same as getting it when people have their actual hands on it. Yeah. And yeah. so for it's different, right? So for Oh, us, yeah, it's vastly different than what you see on your computer screen on the drawing board, so to speak, and then you put it out in the wild and what happens is usually completely different, right? Exactly. So for us, we really wanted to get it out there, start getting reactions to it, and then start rolling out the other pages. And we were strategic with it, right? So we did all of our primary traffic pages we did first and more of our like kind of tertiary pages that we get little traffic to is the stuff that's kind of as a follow-on. And then we're constantly planning on iterating and testing on that, right? So we'll be running conversion rate tests every single month to see what's working, what's not working. If we start changing imagery, cut colors, different button CTA tags, what happens? And using that as a way to constantly improve. I think the challenge 
a lot of marketers have, especially if you're in the age range that I'm in and you've been doing this 15 plus years, is you grew up grew up where print was still a big deal, right? So a lot of the early marketing that I have, even though I started in digital, we still did a lot of print. Sure. And so by nature, we're perfectionists. A lot of people in my generation and older ones, where we you think about like it has to be perfect before it goes to print because once it goes to print and it's in magazines, you can't take it back. Right. So part of it's letting go of that idea and really just being okay with the fact that anything in digital I can spin up quickly and I can also take it down quickly. So Although I will say that if you have a typo in the description for your podcast. Making that change and getting it to hit <laughs> Apple and Google and all the other services is next to impossible. Yes, oh, I agree. <laughs> once once it's out there, forget it. Yeah, they need to make podcasting description titles and image updates a lot easier, in my opinion. Anyway, but I digress. Your point is that the digital medium is changeable and fluid. It's not cast in concrete like an annual report that's printed on a Heidelberg press. It's something that is movable. Exactly. And the power of data and iteration, I think, is really what is so exciting to me about digital and this idea of agility or constant iteration is that you can see real-time data and make real-time decisions to make improvements. And those don't have to be huge, right? I think sometimes people assume with iteration that those have to be a big change, right? Like a revamp of the website. No, it could be something as simple as like, let's test out what the hero image is. Let's run an A-B test. Let's get the results. And then let's implement it. Or, hey, we're noticing this behavior path on these pages and this fall off here. Maybe if we make this change, we won't see that in our conversion process. Those can be quick wins that don't require a ton of time and effort to one, find, or to do. Yeah. But how do you, everybody is moving at lightning pace. And I think it's accelerated since we're all working at home. And one of the results of people working at home is that they tend to never stop working, right? They're always in front of their laptop or their mobile and everything's moving really fast. So how do you manage marketing efforts that are so fast moving? That's a really great question. It's funny that you mentioned that. My husband and I actually sat down last night. And we're like, we've not taken hardly any time off this year. Yeah. And we literally like went through taking off some days for the rest of the year just because we need to recharge as much as probably others do. But for me, you know, when I think about that, one of the things that I remember at while I was at Exact Target, our CMO at the time, Ten Cop, used to talk about the jet stream. Yeah. Right. Every company has a jet stream of a couple of key strategic initiatives that everyone should be a part of somehow, like somehow you should be contributing to those. And so that's a lot of what I think about with my own team is what are those jet stream initiatives? How do we make sure that everyone is contributing to those and really doing something that makes them part of the jet stream? And what that does for a couple of things is first, it makes everyone highly aligned. So when you're moving fast, you're all moving fast towards the same goal versus people moving fast with different goals, which can be really difficult to manage. Two, I think it also shows you progress faster. So one of the things when you're a high stress or high amount of work load situation, which is really common with marketing right now, if you don't see results quickly, it can get overwhelming and can get frustrating. So that's another big thing for me is everyone's in the same job stream. We're all working towards the same things. How can we structure it? So we're constantly releasing pieces of that. So people are seeing wins, even if they're small wins. That to me is, I think, so important. And then for me overall, when I take a step back, normally, 
pre-COVID, <laughs> I would plan quarters ahead. Now we, I would say, have typically a rough idea for the quarter of what our, our jet stream or projects are going to be. And then we kind of really, I look at those every four to six weeks on refining on that just because we do have to move so fast. And so part of it's setting expectations with the team early on and saying like, okay, these are the big projects we're going to work on. This is wherever, how everyone's going to contribute to that. And now we're going to get from a strategic standpoint, these are the goals. This is what we're trying to accomplish. So taking that then from a tactical standpoint and saying, okay, in a project management system, here's what everyone needs to do and the timelines they need to do it in, in order for us to hit these goals and achieve these targets. And then also we have, I was just working on this this morning because we're kind of going through an update on some of the metrics that we look at is signing those people as owners. So who's going to own different metrics? One, that means that they're going to report on them. But two, more importantly, it means that they're the person that's going to be in charge of being accountable for them and telling, raising their hand when something seems wrong. Yes, we're going to go through them every week as a team, but they're the person that's living and breathing it every single day. And I think what that starts to do is create not like accountability for the sake of accountability, but ownership where everyone says like, okay, we're working towards this big goal. And now I know what I own, what I have to do tactically to do it, what I need to do, what I need to measure and how I'm contributing to it. And that to me is like really where you get everyone on the same train going, you know, 90 miles an hour. Yeah. But when marketing or marketers don't move as fast as possible, what's the holdup? Is it industry dynamics, executives, or even them looking in the mirror and seeing themselves? Is it them? What can hinder a marketer from moving as fast as possible? I think it comes down to a couple of things. The first one is personality. Some people are just not fast movers and that's okay. I know for the industry that I'm in, B2B SaaS, you have to move fast, especially when you're like a scale-up organization, right? We're constantly, I like to say running with scissors, right? We're running and we're doing things a little fast. And sometimes it's like running with scissors, like you're hoping no one gets hurt and (laughs) turns out okay, (laughs) but it's real fast and it's a little crazy. So if you have to have the right personality for that type of role. So I think personality is the first thing. Like, do you thrive under what I call like a high level of stress? Yeah. And I always caveat this with not so much that it keeps you up at night, right? Like that's unhealthy stress, but there is a healthy level of stress in marketing where you have a lot going on and that gets you excited. And there are certain personalities that really do like that. Like I, that's what I like. If I don't have a lot going on, I get really bored and I don't know what to do. And so like this works well for me. It doesn't work well for everyone else. And so there are other industries that are tend to be more slow moving. Like manufacturing is a great example. If you're a marketer at a manufacturing organization, your product life cycles, you know, you're planning those five to seven years out. So when you're talking about packaging, right, that's something you have to do tomorrow. That's a six to nine month project. So there's a lot more time that's spent in it. It's typically... Are there moments of stress? Yes, there are. I'm not saying they're not, but it's just different. And the speed at which you're expected to move is different. So I do think personality first, are you by nature a fast moving person or not? And if you're not, what's the right, or or if you are, what's the right industry? And making sure you align your, your personality traits with that industry. And then I think yeah. the other one, which is kind of like the caveat to them all, which is you can do that. But if you don't have a leader, whether that is a CMO, CEO, COO, whoever is really kind of like leading the vision for the organization that has a similar speed, 
to what you have and what the organization needs, that can be a challenge too, right? So I've seen lots of people that work in what need to be high-paced organizations and have a high-paced team get very frustrated because their top-level leaders who are setting the vision don't move that speed or they don't want that much change that quickly, right? And I've also seen on the flip side where you've had fast-paced CEOs at a slow-moving industry that get really frustrated because their team is slow moving, right? And they want to go faster. So I I think it really kind of comes down to those three things. And the perfect secret sauce is being honest and transparent about who you are and what works best for you. Finding an organization has a similar mentality. And you should be able to find that out in the hiring process. And then ideally, the leadership style also is that way. That is where I think you can move the fastest and also enjoy it the most. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalit.org today. Yeah, so let's talk about leadership. Mm -hmm. So think about going into a new organization, you just got hired, and you get in and you find that either the leaders that you're reporting to don't want to move at 90 miles an hour and you want to just floor it or the team you have is stuck in the ways of the past, how do you make that work for you and move the organization as fast as it needs to move? Yeah. So for me, it's always about being upfront in the hiring process. So I always tell people, if you're looking for someone to come in and listen for 90 days, and then start to make changes. Like I am not your person. I am the person that's going to like sit on her hands the first 30 days and try really hard to not come in and blow stuff up (laughs) because that's my personality trait. So I think one is making sure you're really upfront in the hiring process about what kind of leader you are and what they should expect from you. Right now. And in some cases I've talked to in my career organizations where they're like, Oh, that's not what we need. Or like that wouldn't work well for our culture okay, great. Then I'm not a good fit for you. And that's chatting, right? (laughs) Exactly. And that's okay because you're not going to be happy with me. I'm going to be super frustrated. So I always encourage, especially senior marketing leaders to be really upfront and honest about what their leadership style is when they come into a new role and not say like, oh, I could sit for 90 days. Because if you haven't done that before and you're used to moving fast, you're going to go crazy. I think the other part that I always like to tell people and it's really a during the hiring process and quickly thereafter like once I come on board is here's what you're going to get from me and some people will say they're 36 90 day plans I do those sometimes during a hiring process sometimes I don't depending on the role but I always tell them like here's what I'm going to do and I just at a high level construct I'm going to come in I'm going to talk to these people I'm going to need your blessing that I can do this I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to come to you with exactly what I'm going to do. And it's probably just based on what I know so far, going to be things like X, Y, and Z. And setting that up front from a hiring process really helps me go based on the reaction, whether or not like they're actually going to be truly supportive or if that's something that makes them a little uncomfortable. And then when I come in to a role, we do the same thing, right? So I'm usually coming in with a list of like, okay, I know you're going to have onboarding. That's great. But here are the other like 40 people that I know I need to talk to. 
So because I need to learn everything I can about your organization and how it operates so I can make quick decisions and start making real changes. Yeah. Because you brought me in to solve a problem. So you can typically, if you've set your stage up well, they're not surprised when you come in. They're also not surprised when you want to start blowing things up really fast. I think the part that gets really uncomfortable is when they say that they're okay with it during the hiring process and you get in there and you realize their definition of fast and yours are different. (laughs) Their definition of blowing things up and yours are different. I think we've probably all been there. To me, I think it's really about, in that case, is trying to figure out what it is they need in order to feel okay with what you need to do. And sometimes that's data. Sometimes it's just time. They just feel like you need to be in a certain role for a certain period of time. I remember when I was at a large organization, they had these rules of like how long you had to be in a role before you can move to another role. Not based on your, like what results you drove, not based on how qualified you were, but you literally had to be in that role for a certain number of months. So sometimes there are just, I would say things like that, but figuring those out and then figuring out how you make them work for you. So let's say that they need to see the data. And before we can make changes, that my next action would be, okay, how do I get the data as quickly as possible that supports the changes that I need to make? Because they don't trust like my gut or my experience. And once you do that a couple of times, typically, if you have a leader who really does trust their, their leadership team, you'll, they'll come off of that and they won't need that over and over again. So that's just one of the things that I've done in the past to help in those types of situations. But ideally, if they're not on the same page as you, you don't take the job. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Uh, sometimes you can find yourself in an awkward position though, right? Yes. And so many times, it, I think a lot, what I've seen sometimes is leaders will get enamored with you, right? They love who you are. They love what you talk about. And they're almost willing to like change themselves in order to like convince you to work there. I've never seen that turn out successfully for anyone that's been in that situation. But a lot of times there are organizations that are like, oh, we want to change. We want to move fast. And I always like ask them to like, well, give me an example of when you've moved fast. (laughs) Tell me a story. Right, right. Because just as much as they are interviewing you for a job, you should also be interviewing them and making sure it's the culture that you will thrive in. Exactly. And the interview process is two way. So got to learn about them and they've got to learn about you. Exactly. So we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I think certain parts of the economy are doing well, certain parts aren't, and it has a kind of psychological impact on people. And I'm just wondering how can marketers move fast in the middle of a pandemic when so much is going on in their lives? How can they focus to move fast? And have you seen any examples? Yeah, I, it's so funny. I think every marketer came into 2020 with at least the really good ones, a really strong plan for at least the first half of the year, if not the full year around what they wanted to accomplish at a high level. And a lot of, you know, tactical things were probably the first two quarters. And then, you know, mid-March hit hit, and we all were like, well, let me just throw that in the trash. This is going to be a dumpster fire. (laughs) Right. And I think for a lot of us, I know myself included thought, you know, mid-March, this will be a couple, give it four or five weeks. Things will get back to normal. And I think we all realized as we went to May, June, that this was going to be a much longer time frame than any of us had thought. Right. And for me, what happened is kind of like twofold. 
one, how quickly can you think about turning off spend that isn't generating the type of ROI that you need or conserving budget? Because a lot of marketers, if we're being really transparent, had their budget slashed. And then the other part is around how can you find new ways? So everyone talks about ICP, right? Ideal customer profile. And I joke and say, we now have CICP, which is coronavirus ideal customer profile, (laughs) which is who will buy your product right now. Right. Which is a very pragmatic point of view. It is, but it's so true. And I love this idea of ideal customer profile, right? And it is what it is. It's your ideal customer profile. I don't think anyone would say the world we're living in today is ideal because it's not. So therefore, your customer profile has to change. And that's where I think if you start thinking about, especially if your industry has been hit really hard, like the restaurant industry, there's a lot of software companies that sell into the restaurant industry that have been like just decimated. Sure. And an example of that is, okay, what are other similar industries that can use your product that haven't been? How do you start thinking differently? How can you start pivoting your efforts to people who are buying, right? Because let's think about schools, right? Zoom probably had no idea that almost every school in America would start using its software come mid-March, right? But now, now it is. Or thinking about just like healthcare, virtual healthcare. I've never done a virtual visit with a doctor pre-COVID. That wasn't something that you really did. And now every doctor's office had to figure out a way to do that rapidly for all of their patients. Yeah. So I think what it really takes is like, how do you take a step back and stop trying to sell to the people that have always bought for you? Now, if your industry is untouched and things are going great and you can sell to your ideal customer profile, that is awesome. Kudos to you. That is not reality for the rest of the world. (laughs) So what you have to ask yourself is, okay, first of all, is there something I can do for my current ideal customer profile that would make it easier for them to buy? And that could be special offers. It could be discounted trials. It could be doing moving quickly to product-led growth and doing some sort of free account concept with limited functionality. But how can I get them in? And then how can I do that at a cost that is lower than what I was doing before? Because if you are not seeing the same type of conversion rates, you have to reduce your customer acquisition costs, right? There are no questions about it. Yep. And then the second part is who are other industries that could buy from me that have the same need where hopefully I don't have to make a ton of product changes to me. Like that's really the sweet spot. Like who could use my product today that I'm not selling to because I didn't determine they were my ideal customer profile for whatever reason. They're now your coronavirus ideal customer profile because they are buying right now. Nonprofits are a great example of that, right? Nonprofits weren't doing a ton previously and a lot of different, buying a lot of technology, but now they can't have a lot of their gala events where they raise a lot of money. So they're trying to find other ways to do that virtually, yeah. right? So if you provide a virtual event solution, nonprofits might be a target that didn't make sense for you before, but could make sense for you today. So I really encourage you to think about that. And what might be really interesting that I'm personally curious about what will happen is once we're through COVID, whenever that might be, which is probably longer than all of us would hope. Does your coronavirus ideal customer profile actually become your ICP? Sure. How much is this really going to change your business? Because all of our businesses are going to be impacted by this. Our customers are going to drive us from a product standpoint in different directions than we would have thought of a year ago. 
And I'm really curious to see what that mix looks like. But I always tell people, if you don't have a C ICP right now, you are not paying attention. Yeah, it's plain as the nose on your face, isn't it? That the world is different. So that means the market is different. So you should approach it differently. You should. But I think so many people are just still going back to what worked before. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times you get an email that's like, I hope you're doing well. (laughs) Or like in these. Oh, yeah, I'm great. (laughs) Right. Like, sure. When the world goes back to normal or in our new normal, I'm like, how many like, can we ban those emails? Do you remember early on in March, everybody was getting emails saying we basically the same email from everyone they did business with about how they're concerned about you and hope everything's okay. And then that ended. Now they don't give a shit about you. <laughs> well, and, what's, and here's the thing is, did they really back then either? Because like, to me, I got so many of those emails to your point that all I swear were like written by the same copywriter. Yeah. And, but they weren't actually helpful. They didn't no. offer me, they didn't <laughs> offer me anything that I could it's say. It's a really like, good I'm, point. It's a really good point that I think marketers should listen to is whatever you do when you communicate with your customers, it has to be helpful, right? And getting an email that's just fluff doesn't really do anything. Exactly. And I think so many times everyone's like, well, we got to send the email. You don't have to send the email. I'd rather not get an email from you than get one that says you're thinking about me, but you don't provide me with anything that could actually be helpful to my business. Yeah. Some companies like Limivate, right? We did a lot of stuff when COVID first started to really be helpful to our customers or people that were in deal cycles with us already. Sure. And to nonprofits. We let nonprofits use our platform free of charge and are continuing to do so as an example, because we want to be helpful, right? Like I can't fix the problem that you can't have a gala event where you used to raise money, but I can give you a free app on our platform. So you can now use that as a vehicle to do that. Right. Right. And those I think are really helpful ways to be helpful and you don't have to give away product you could also give away right like we sell to marketers we also give away our consulting services do you just need to talk to someone and brainstorm some ideas of how to engage with your customers or engage with prospects like use our team of experts but really if you're gonna reach out to me like you have to be helpful or you go in the trash yeah yeah it's like the old line that you hear at every company you ever work at our employees are our most important asset And they just say it because they've heard everybody else say it, so they said it. And I think when coronavirus started, people saw an email come from someone they're doing business with, and they think, oh, we better do that. Don't really know what it means, but put something together and send it out to all of our customers instead of thinking about it. And that's where I think agility is kind of confused. Mm -hmm. Doing something fast is different than being agile because doing when you're agile, you're doing the right thing fast, right? Right, exactly. And you're thinking about it, right? So if you think about agile development from actual code and development perspective, right? You're thinking about sprints and figuring out what does the business need and how long is that going to take and how can we do that in the way that drives value the most? And that's still so important in marketing, right? Like you can do crappy marketing fast, You can also do strategic marketing that drives your business forward fast too. So it doesn't take away the need for having a good strategy and being really smart about the channels that you use, the messaging that you use, the creativity that you use. You still have to have those, but you can also do those in a way that is more rapid. Yeah. I really enjoyed this chat, Stephanie. Thanks so much for joining me. It was a lot of fun. 
My pleasure. I enjoyed it as well. All right, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Reed Edwards, executive producer, writer, and host of Confessions of a Marketer. Shep Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy, and see you next time. Thank you.